Great. Okay, so this is our introduction to Maseches Shvius, which we start now. So the word Shvius means seventh. Based on the Pasuk, I'll read the Pasuk in a minute, but it's referring to the seventh year of the, I'll call it agricultural cycle. We fondly refer to it as Shemitah, the Shemitah year. The word Shvius just means seventh. And the word Shemitah, however, means um, like release or relinquish, sort of like let be. So that's a reference to the fact that um, we have these two relinquishments, if you will. Um, Shemitah Sakarka, Shemitah Karkos is the releasing our ownership and working responsibilities upon the land. So the land lays fallow for a whole year. And that's the, in Parshas Bahar, I'll read the in a minute. And then there's another topic, which is um, Shemitah's Ksafim, relinquishing of, relinquishment of money, literally. Um, it means the release of loans. The outstanding loans are released at the end of the Shemitah year. So just on those two points, forget what their common thread is, which I'll get back in a second. The difference is important, besides the obvious one, land and one's money. Um, Shemitah's Karkaos, the Kedusha and relinquishment of ownership and working responsibilities on the land applies only in Eretz Yisrael. Whereas Shemitah's Ksafim, the release of loans, applies worldwide, you know, in the diaspora as well. And Shemitah's Karkaos, the prohibition of working the land, the, the primary prohibitions against labor, of planting and harvesting, etc., kick in Medoraisa only on, on uh, Rosh Hashanah, first day of Tishrei. We'll see there's a Doraisa that proceeds about plowing, but the working land doesn't kick in until, the Doraisa doesn't kick in until Rosh Hashanah of the seventh year. Whereas Shemitah's Ksafim, the release of the loans, and the relinquishing of any claim on those loans, happens at the very end of the seventh year. So like, you know, not the very, Shemitah's Karkos, the land, starts at the beginning of the seventh year. Shemitah's Ksafim, the release of the loans, happens at the end of the seventh year. So those are two very big, like, structural differences. One is Eretz Yisrael, one's not. One's the beginning, one's the end. Um, but obviously they are um, combined in our Masechta and they're combined conceptually. I suggested to you on, on Thursday of last week my my suggestion of the connection between these two call them halachic phenomena, these two different things in the Torah, um, which are dealt with in our, our Masechta. And, and my explanation was, and I stick to it, is that the way we're meant to relate to our material possessions is that Lashem Lo, Hashem owns everything. Hashem has the land and everything in it. The world is God's. But he um, entrusted us each privately with some subset of his material ownership. And the way we should relate to it is that we are Kilo trustees. And I explained on Thursday, the notion of a trust is that this, it's this, trusts do not exist in Halakha as far as I know. Um, but trusts are use a great muscle for this. Just how dumb it's a we're in. So, um, a trust is this legal fiction where a person, we'll call him a, a grantor, the different names, a grantor, a settler, but the, the grantor gives money into this trust. He appoints a trustee to administer the trust, and he gives a charge to the trustee to act on the benefit of the beneficiaries of the trust. So you have a grantor who funds it, the trustee who manages it, and the beneficiaries who are the ones for whom the trust has been set up, and it's the responsibility of the trustee to manage and distribute on behalf of the beneficiaries in a way that's beneficial to them. Okay, So I think that is the best muscle one that I have to think about how to relate to material stuff in your life anyways um, across the board. I mean, this muscle I think is useful also to think about the mitzvahs of like Meister Ksafim, how you give charity which is not on topic right now, but I'll, I'll explain in a second what I mean by that. Um, so the way to look at it, I think, is that Hashem gave you some property, even if 
you, it's your Nachlan, as if it's your like birthright to this piece of land that was given back from the, when they separated, you know, from Yeshua, you know, after Yeshua came into the land, they divided up the land. Even if you know this is your ancestral plot that was given to you by, so to speak, God himself, he was, it was given to you, but only like, so to speak, in trust. And money the same. The money that you have in your pocket, your bank account is yours, but not really yours at all. Really, it's just God's money that's being held in trust for some beneficiaries. Beneficiaries are the people, I guess, in your life. So that would be, you know, I don't know, you and your, your children, etc. Um, but it's not your money. You're just the trustee of that money. Almost like a living trust where you act as a trustee and the beneficiary, your kids and however you set up. Same kind of idea. And the same way I use this muscle that by my building in Rockefeller, Plaza, I really think this is a useful muscle. I think it's true. That there's like a midrachov, like a how do you say midrachov in English? Like a side, like a side. Pedestrian walk, fine. Yeah, perfect. Yes. So the the Rockefellers used to, whoever now they are, whoever now owns Rockefeller Plaza, owns this this block. Okay, but between 58th and 59th, they have like a like a pedestrian walkway running the middle. So they could have built a skyscraper and taken up the whole block like the other skyscrapers in the neighborhood. But they didn't. They divided, the, so to speak, it's more complicated than this, but it doesn't matter. They had like two half skyscrapers with a walk into the middle, conceptually, actually, in fact, in the seven buildings. It doesn't matter. Um, so you can walk through, and people do walk through this like pedestrian walkway, but, but it's not a public thoroughfare. It's not a public sidewalk. It's the Rockefellers or Rockefeller or whoever owns Rockefeller now. It's their private property. They just let you walk through. It's like once a year, you can look up in the statutes. They actually like close off the street. It's probably like a two to three in the morning on, you know, on December 26th or something. But they actually like formally lock it down and say like, this is our private property and no one's allowed to cross here. And the point of that is to show, you know, like, if you learn like the Belvoster, like, no, we're not, just because everyone's walking through this doesn't mean it's not ours. It's ours and we're just letting you walk, but we retain full rights over this piece of land. So conceptually, that idea, which, you know, it makes, it makes perfect sense. They just once a year, they put up a sign that says, I mean, more than just a sign. It has but, to, by the way, it has to do with, with, with certain legalities in New York State, because I know my, my brother had a plot of unused plot of land next to his house that nobody touched, and they were allowed after a certain time to fence it in, and it became theirs. It belonged to uh, the city. And since the city didn't use it, nobody used it anyway. Right, so there, there are rules of eminent domain and rules of squatters' rights. I'm sure it's, it's illegal. Yeah, I'm sure it's, I'm seriously Oh, illegal. for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> They're not messing about over there. At the, they're doing it for legal reasons. But the conceptual point, there's a re- the laws are that way for a conceptual reason, which is like like that you see in the Torah, like Chetzka Sabbat, and you have like people, if you, back in Baba Vasra, like you, you have to show you belong here, so you lose your rights to being here, so to speak. So I think conceptually, Hashem is doing the same thing, Kam Shemitah. He says, like, I, I'm putting all this money and property in your trust, each Jewish person in his own trust. But like once every seven years, I put my foot down and say, no. It's mine. It's mine. And you will not work it. Hashem said, listen, I'm going to take care of you. And that's Sukkim. I promise you, you'll have what to eat. But no work in the land because the land is my land, not your land. And even though the money is your money, it's only your money in trust. Really, it's really, really my money, says Hashem. And therefore, I set up rules like we, the money we loan, we, I'll call it, we loan out, we're relinquishing. Because it's like, there's, it's hard to understand that on some level, it's hard to understand the, the justice of I made you a loan. You promised to pay it back. I've got the contract in front of me. And then you just say, well, come to me to like, I'm off the hook. Okay. Which is, you are off the hook. What's the, what's the justice in that? So I was waxing philosophic, you know, John Rawls style on last Thursday about that justice might be fairness. And if, if you would, if you're trapped in debt, you're trapped forever. And that's bad news. And that's why every, 
that I know every modern society has, like bankruptcy laws. The Torah doesn't have bankruptcy laws per se. It doesn't need to because every seven years there's a full reset on the bankruptcy issue. If you're bankrupt and in debt, you go back to square one. You know, you're rehabilitated automatically come, uh, come Shemitah year, end of Shemitah year. So it's the same kind of thing, but that's not... That's justice. See, this is where English and Hebrew is a little tricky. That may be justice, if you wanted to find justice, fairness. Maybe it's fair, but it's certainly not din. Uh, you know, din, like strict letter of the law, there's a contract. Why in the world should, if you borrow, why the world should you be released from paying back? So you owe me the money. But the Torah says, no, you are off the hook. The borrower is off the hook. And my suggestion is, the rationale is, because it never was your money all along. It was Hashem's money who... You acted as a trustee to give to this person. And I think that's really the, the same about like charity, tzedakah, maeser kasafim, that the Hashem, and there's actually a Hirsch writes these kind of words, that the way to relate to your money is the 90, when Hashem endowed your personal trust, so 90% of the money is for you and your family, so to speak, and 10%, Hashem's letter of wishes is, it's for the benefit of, you know, or charitably, charitable worthy organizations, whatever people, around you, and I'm charging you as the trustee to give it to who you see fit, Torah institutions, poor people, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you're the trustee, so you're, you're authorized to choose to whom you'll give this money. That's how you should relate to it. You know, you make a cheshvan. This year you made 100,000 shekels, so you have 10,000 shekels as tzedakah to give. So you're, it's not your 10,000 shekels, it's like Hashem's. You're just the trustee. But Hashem says you can give it to whom you want. And I'm sure there'll be schar and to whatever degree, onesh, God forbid, to the extent that you mismanage those funds that you were put in trust of, or even if you didn't use them as you could have. In other words, they're more, if they're, if you helped, you know, what I mean by that is this. If you find, a, if you, I think Laman Achai has this the slogan is smart chesed. Is that their slogan? Yeah, yeah. Smart. Yeah, like there's, there's ways to give money that is more and ways to give money that is less effective. And obviously if you're more effective, Tashas, you help more people or help more profoundly, that'll be more of a sus for you. And if less than less, but that, that's, your job is to do the best you can as you see fit, and Hashem will reward and punish as he sees fit. That's not our problem. Um, but the way to relate to it is it's not your money. That's my point. It's like when you come down, your paycheck is 100, yeah, 90 for you, and Hashem says, this 10, I'm just giving to you as a trustee to give to so where we see fit. What you're talking about, though, applies to all the money. You're Everything. The Everything. Like, yeah, for sure. Someone lends money in the fifth year, they don't get it back, and then it's, you know, Shemitah. Uh, oh, yeah, let me make two different things. I, I lapsed. I went from... At the end of the seventh year, whatever money you loaned out is released, and like on that, that's one thing. My Safim is like a different thing of giving. They do overlap. Like the the Chavetz Chaim says, I think in Abbas Chesed, he says a person should give a third of his Meiser budget towards free loans. Okay, like that's uh, it's really big. It's a tremendous Chesed to give someone a, a free a loan. There's a lot of so many times I have a lot of experience with this. People. They're like good for the money, and they're not—they're not a charity case, but they just have a cash flow problem. These things happen. You know, you have a—you make your ten thousand shekels a month. Interest-free, interest-free loan. No, no, interest-free loan. Yeah, no, interest. I mean, I mean, well, in English, you call it free loan. What we mean is interest-free loan. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of so many times, I'm sure everyone's experienced it. You just have unexpected expenses this month, and then you have no—you're just not, don't have cash. It's not that you can't pay, and you don't want to pay. Just you don't have the cash now. So that's a—and it's a terrible feeling. So to release a person of that. Terrible feeling, and those you know it's terrible. You want you don't want to not pay your kids' school fees or your doctor or whatever, but you can't because there's no cash there. So that's what the idea of a free loan, interest-free loan, is all about. That's what it is exactly. It's all these gemach that they're for. Gemach is gemach loan gemach. So this very purpose, yeah. So 
Anyways, that's why I think that the way to think about it conceptually, and that's the, the connection, if I suggest, between two seemingly totally unrelated things, of Shemitah's Ksafa and Shemitah's Karkos, is Hashem says, really, like Rockefeller style, really, it's all mine, and I'm putting out the sign once every seven years, so to speak, saying, like, no, you're going to treat it not like... Because no rational person wouldn't plant their, own, plant their own field. No rational person would release money that they are, have come to them as their loan. Which I'm saying, yeah, but that's not relevant because it's not yours in the first place, so it makes it personally rational. That's my suggestion for the connection between the two. Okay. Now, as far as the Masechet itself, um, there are ten prakim. The first nine deal with Shemitah's Karkos, and just the tenth is Shemitah's Ksafim. So they're divided up like that. Um, so first... Okay. Sorry? Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as the Shemitah's Karkaos go, so um, the structure basically is the first two prakum deal with Tosef which means, kind of like Tosef Shabbos, that there's rules that kick in already before Shemitah starts, um, which I'll get to in a second. Then three and half or four deal with um, the prohibitions of working the land on Shvius. There's a bunch of mitzvahs. There are different counts of how many mitzvahs, but there are a number of mitzvahs, like Mitzvah's asay to let the land rest, and mitzvah's love, not to harvest, and not to prune, uh, pick from the trees. At least those three. We'll see in a more. It's hard. How it's divided up in terms of out of the 613 is a little debatable, but just as that's the gist of it. Um, the second half of the fourth parak to the eighth parak deals with the kadusha of the peros. That is to say, peros, shvias actually have a kadusha, and they're restricted in what you can and can't do with them. Okay, so that's that. And the ninth parak is the mitzvah of Bior, which is this requirement to get rid of it. All this I'm going to explain in a second. Okay? That's just the structure. So just to see the whole thing, let's look at the Pesukim inside. I'm reading from Bahar, the opening um, Parsha of Sidra Bahar. And it's a, so this is in um, Vayikra 25.1, the beginning of Bahar. You'll have it, I'm sure, in the beginning of Mishnah, so you have it in front of you there. It says, Vayadaber Hashem El Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemur. God said it Harsinai, when you come to land that I'm going to be giving to you, there'll be Eretz Yisrael. So you see this is Eretz Yisrael only already. The land will be, it's like a transitive verb, you will rest. This is what say. The land will get its rest. You'll rest the land. For six years, you will do your planting in your fields, and v'sheishanim tizmor karmecha, and for six days you'll zmir as pruning, like to cut back excessive or cut away excessive growth, so the plant grows better, the vine grows better. For six years you will prune your vineyard, v'asavta es tvuasa, and you will collect in all of its produce, uv'shana shviyas, and on the seventh year, the name of our mesefta, shana shviyas, the seventh year, shabbos shabbason yela aretz, the land will get a Shabbos. Shabbos, Shabbos in the same kind of language you have, like by Yom Kippur. Land gets its rest. Shabbos Lashem. It's, the land gets a Shabbos Lashem. Sadcha lo Sizra. You will not be Zorea, plant seeds in your field. Vechar lo Sizmor. And your vineyard you will not, um, again, Zmir, you won't uh, prune. So you see here now the first two, in this, this second, the first two specific Lav and Doraisa of no, the provision of planting, the provision of pruning. Okay. Now we have that which grew, you can't, um, k'tzira is hot, reap, like for harvesting. What? I will afterwards. I won't do it separately. They are so translated as, for the word, or, uh, are growths. Okay, they translate as aftergrowths, which is fine. 
I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, it's, a, it's an important part of the whole Masechba, Um But it means whatever grew for now. And the, the grapes of your vine, I'll translate, it's a strange choice of word, whatever, you will not. Betsira is the verb for harvesting grapes. So here we have two more, for a total of four. No katsira, reaping, and no betsira, harvesting of grapes. It's the little meaning. Katsira is harvesting, reaping of, of grains. Shnas Shabbos and Yelaretz. It will be a year of Shabbos for the land. Baha'i says Shabbos Ha'aretz Lachem. This is also hard to translate. Well, translate as the produce, how do they translate as? The Sabbath produce. Sounds good. The, the, the relinquished food or the Sabbath produce, if you will, will be for you. I mean, you can eat what grows by itself. We'll get back to that in a minute. La'achla, for eating. La'cha, la'abdcha, la'masecha. Ulo'amasecha, sorry, vila'amasecha. For you and abdcha's, your, whatever, your servants, amasecha, your female servants. Ulo'asircha, those are the people you hire. The Ulo'asoshavcha, hagarimimach. Okay, whatever, the people who are living with you, well, then the last pasuk, which is important for the beer halachas, it also says v'lechaya for your uh, behemas and chayos are like undomesticated creatures. Asheba artzecha that are in the land. So this means that even the wild animals also have access to these to these foods. that will also be for them the produce for their consumption. Okay, that's the end of the parsha on shemitas. Carcos. Well, certain lacks laps into Yovel, but that's not a topic here. I want to discuss Yovel. Okay, so what have we got here? So first, we have the basic iser of these four malachas, if you will. Okay, I'll call them malachas, for lack of a better term. But it's, I'm actually it's good. I said that misleading sentence. I'll explain why it's misleading, which is good. But the four things you can't do, we see at our our um, planting, zorea, reaping. Oh, sorry, I should say planting and pruning. Zria and Zamira, and Ktsira, uh, harvesting, reaping the food, and Ktsira, uh, harvesting the, the fruits of the vine. Those are the four explicit things that the Torah is forbidding here. Um, I'll call them malachas because they sort of feel like malachas, but very importantly, although they do basically overlap totally with malachas and Shabbos, um, unlike Shabbos, which there's a notion of Av and Tolda, that the Doraisa is just uh, extends far beyond the Specific category. Oh, everyone knows an av is a generic, a generic conceptual prohibited act. But the same, like for example, you know, uh, like the tolda of being zorea of of planting that you know, any any promotion of growth essentially, like moving a plant to the sunshine and that kind of stuff. Even so, um, none of that. The notion of tolda doesn't exist when it comes to shviyas. So it's these four things of the doraisas and the plethora of other things that you can't do to promote your fruit from growing um, is all abundant territory. Okay. Um, no, it's Doraisa. Tolda's are all Doraisa. All the Tolda's are Doraisa, yeah. So no, the Torah says you can't, Torah says you can't plow, but you, if you'd water, that's also, and so on and so forth, yeah. Watering is not one of the 39, but it's in Lav Doraisa. Tolda's are Doraisa. In Shabbos. Here not. So there's no, uh, Doraisa of plowing a field and trees? Good question. So okay, that's what I'm about to get into. So pl- I, I stepped over plowing because the plowing is something else. So there's, in addition to those four, there's this, now I'm going back, now I'm starting the structure of the Masech, the first thing is Tosef Shvius. So there's a separate Din Doraisa of plowing before Shvius. On Shvius, actually, it's a Mahogas. But before Shvius, it's a Iser Doraisa to plow your fields. 
That extends back 30 days only, Midoraisa. So in the month of what we call Elul, you can't plow without period. Now, this is a fascinating fundamental focus here, which is the source of that. So according to, we'll see inside the Mishnahs, but I'll sum it up here. According to Rebbe Akiva, it's based on Pesukim. There's another Pesukim, which he understands to be referring to Shemitah, talking about Harisha, not plowing. Okay? So he holds it's an Isra Doraisa from the good old-fashioned, from the Pesukim, don't allow you to, to plow. Rebbe Yishmael, who the Lacha follows for the record, says the Pesukim over there are talking about Shabbos and the Harisha, not referring to Shemitah. The details we'll see later on. But the point is, he holds, although it's an Isser Doraisa to plow in the month, whatever, yeah, the month before Shemitah begins, it's a halachal emotion we Sinai. I mean, there's no sukkim that refer to it. It's just a tradition we have back in Parsinai. And so that's, you say, what's the big difference between a Doraisa in the sukkim and a halachal emotion Sinai? So the big difference is that Rabbi Shmuel also holds that the halachal emotion we Sinai only has a, Halach Moshesinai of not plowing carries with it a Halach Moshesinai caveat. And the caveat is it only applies when the Beis HaMikdash is up and running, up in, in Eretz Yisrael. So no Beis HaMikdash, no Isra Darais of plowing. That's the Halach Moshesinai, says Rabbi Shmuel, and that's the Halacha, how we paskin. So even without getting into other issues about Kitsch, like the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael's persistence, the Pashas is Shemitah becomes a Darabonin, period. Okay, the Pashas. This is a little thorny, and in Eretz Yisrael it's, it's complicated because Actually, it's back in, in the implementation, and obviously it makes a world of difference if you're talking about a Darais or Durabanan for many, many, many things. But Bapash is all Durabanan just from that alone. Okay? Fine. Um, so that's the, that's the Tosefeshvias. Now, that's the Doraisa Tosefeshvias. Just like there's a din of Tosefes Shabbos, Midoraisa, you have to add a little two minutes, whatever it is, before Shabbos comes in, refraining from your work in a formal. You, yeah. Does everyone know this? This is a side point, but just so you should know. Before Shabbos comes in, you're required to formally accept upon yourself, like prior to Shabbos coming in, stop doing malacha. Okay? So you have to, you're supposed to do that. So, like women do it easily. They light Shabbos candles and it's, they're, they're done 18 or 40 minutes, whatever, before, and they're done. But men don't do that, necessarily, but you gotta do it. So, it's a little tricky. You could do it by boi challah when you bow down on, like on the welcome to Shabbos queen on Kabbalah Shabbat, but a lot of times you've passed Shia and it's no good. Okay, so anyways, it's a din. You should just be mindful. Tosefa Shabbos is a mitzvah doraisa, even not a, it's a chi of doraisa, and you gotta accept Shabbos in early. You can't just let the sun set and after you take me to Shabbos. So, Tosefa Shabbos is a din there. For a long, by the way, this is a total sidebar, not related. For many times, I'm wondering, what happens if they could do malacha, and what happens if you do malacha then? Like, what if, like, what's the, like, what have you broken? In other words, I like candles 18 minutes before. I say, now I'm bringing Shabbos. That's it. And then, and then I write, but the sun hasn't set yet. So like, what's, so my understanding is it is a Doraisa, but the Doraisa, it's a carrying against like something like a nether. Like you took a nether not to do malacha kilo. Cause you can't be over the sham, it's still, you know, the sun hasn't set. So there's no skila. So there's no, there's no, you're over Doraisa, but the Doraisa is like the form, like a nether that you took on to not do malacha. Yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, It's not, it's not the Doraisa of like Kares, Skila, that Shilash Shabbos. It's the, you took upon yourself like with the Koch Neda to bring in Shabbos. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like the same, it's the same, so to speak, the same way that if you take a Neda not to eat, I don't know what, chicken, and then you do, it's not that chicken isn't kosher. It's like a difference. You did it, it's a Doraisa eating the chicken. It's a Doraisa. But like the, the actual 
Seif and like the law book that you broke wasn't the Kashrus laws, it was the Nedr law. So the same thing would be like if you do Malacha. This is my understanding of this. Um, um, if you do Malacha after taking a Shabbos before, I'll call it sundown, right? Whatever you call it. Sundown is a terrible definition for Shabbos, but you know, but that's not a topic. Before Shabbos really comes in objectively, if you will. So you're not over at the rule book of Hill Shabbos, you're over the rule book of, in the rule book of, of, uh, of Nadar. That makes a little difference. Okay, fine. Seder. So that's that. So, so Tosefa Shabbos is a chi of Doraisa. The Rabbanan extended back further. They said, listen, once there's no point, I'm generalizing the details in the Mishnah, but conceptually, the rabbi said, once there's no point in working your fields now because any, like plowing, if you've harvested already, what in the world, you, and it's now the sixth year crop has been harvested, like what are you plowing your field for? They can't do anything except getting ready for the seventh year. So that's not allowed. So the rabbis basically say, no plowing the fields with the Rabbanan all the way back to when it's no longer a benefit to the fields. Like for the future crops. And that, uh, the present crops, you could do what you have to do. But the future crops, you can't. That pushes it back to Pesach time. Okay? And we'll see for trees, trees are a little different. Trees, unlike grain, go from year to year. They stick around. So and you want the water to get in. So the, you can plow and work your ground up until Shavuos time when it comes to trees. Okay? And we'll see the difference there later on. Before. Before, before. Um, that's the Tosefah issue. Now, those are the first couple of if you will. The second section is the Avoda stuff, the prohibitions against working the land, which really is boiled down to four categories, like I said. You can't do zuria, planting. It's interesting. It's a machlokas, actually, if it applies to trees, like if you plant a tree in the, in the Shemitah year, because that's usually referred to as natia. So, okay, many or most Roshanim say yes, but some, including the... Uh, I don't know. No, the Ramam says it is in the rice to plant a tree. So there's a ban uh, There are shitas that say no. Okay? But in the kids are no planting on Shemitah year. Um, no zmira, which is the pruning of vines. The pastures here actually applies only to vines, midoraisa. So that midorabanan, you can't go pruning your apple tree, but probably just a durabanan. Probably applies just to vines. As far as katsira goes and katsira, the harvesting. So that is a little, like, more nuanced. There's, there's a no, you're totally disallowed under, there's no circumstance where you could plant seeds or prune your vineyard on Shemitah, period. But here's the thing. It said that the, if you remember back it says the produce of the seventh year, even if they're just svichen, um, but it says, Shabbos Haaretz Lachem, the Shabbos, Sabbath produce, Ashka translated as, is for you, la'achla, to eat, l'achal, l'abdacha, etc. So you are allowed, this is the tricky, nuanced thing, you are, yes, allowed to reap and collect grapes, etc., because you're allowed to eat those produce. But, so what you can't do is do it in the normal slash commercial way. It has to be like in the, I don't know, in the happenstance way. And one of the big problems here is that it's open to everybody. In other words, you can't Restrict access to... You have an apple tree, you're welcome to collect the apples. You have a grapevine from the Pesukim, you're allowed to do Batsir and collect grapes for eating and making your wine out of But it's just... It can't be that it's a... You know, you're harvesting all your grapes so you'll have them all. No, you harvest grapes you need and then the rest is left open for everyone to come and take the grapes, etc. Um, and important, it's just the grapes, not the tree. That's an important conceptual point. I remember years ago, two, three years ago, I once went to pick my own esrog. And there was a big sign up that basically said, like, I'm summarizing... Basically said, the story's not exactly true, but the sentiment is true. The sign said, you're welcome to take the estrogen, but just go easy on our trees, because the trees, if you pull too hard, you're going to damage the trees, and the trees aren't yours, just the estrogen. That's, that's true. You not have, so they open, rightly so, open access to the estrogen, but estrogen orchard, but then the estrogen are public access, but the estrogen trees still belong to them. Um, and that's that. 
So, um, yeah, so you're allowed to harvest and collect, just not in a commercial, normal way, but in a, just a happenstance, one-off way you're allowed to, like for your needs, you're allowed to. Um, if you, yeah, as far as other malachas, we'll get a whole bunch of things that you, that you can't do to your fields besides for just planting and pruning. Um, that's all their abundant nature. Here's the gist of it. The gist of it is, if you're there to help make things grow, us are. If you're there to protect your property or things so that, you know, protect insects or something from eating the current thing that grew, you're allowed to. You understand? So promoting a growth or an extra growth, for sure, forbidden. Protecting your property, protecting your tree, protecting your food from whatever, that, 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 you know, for fungus and that kind of thing, yes, allowed. Okay? So that's the gist of it. You'll see there's many Mishnahis coming your way. Um, that's that. So that's the, that's till the end of the fourth, middle of the fourth paragraph. Then the next, Big chunk of the Masechta is like from the middle of the fourth end of the eighth parak is Kedusha Saperos, the sanctity of the fruit of Eretz Israel. According to the Ramban, it's actually, um, he's by himself, but it's worth knowing because Shemitah comes around. Shemitah, I think, is coming in uh, three, years. three more years. Okay, so there you go. So I'll be like, uh, yeah, 57, 82, I think it is, right? Yeah. So um, it's coming up. I think it's, I think it's 57, 82, I think, is the next Shemitah year. You can. Sorry, you can look at yourself and see. Um, so, we're in 5778 now. Yeah. Oh, we're nine, we're nine, sorry, we're nine already. Right, okay, yeah, so three, that makes sense, yeah. 5779, 5778, yeah, that's right. Okay, so, fine. So, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought for a second. Oh, the Ramban, thank you. The Ramban holds that it's actually a mitzvah to eat the fruit. Like, because they're kadosh, like it's a good thing to eat them per se, but as just as an aside. But most just learn this, the kadusha issue is more like that you revolves on not wasting the fruit and not doing commercial production with the fruit. So that means you're not allowed to, you can't misuse the fruit. There's an issue of, of wasting it. There's also anything, but anything that's used like achila, meaning consumption of fruit, is permitted if it's for your personal use and it's not commercial and it's not wasteful. So that would include not just Eating, that's normal consumption, but also, um, like anointing, like olive oil you put on your skin. Sicha is also the same thing, it's consumed that way. Or let's say olive oil using for like burning a lamp, yes allowed. Okay? What's essential is that you don't miss, misuse, you don't, yeah, you don't misuse the fruit, by which I mean, you don't use the fruit for something that's not usually used for. Okay? This gets a little tricky. This gets a little tricky. Remember, these are halach lamaisa lamaisa, ultimately. So, you know, some things you can and some things you can't do because it's considered like a violation of the sanctity. So I don't know. Making a smoothie with fruit that wouldn't be made a smoothie with normally would be forbidden. And wasting the bottom, you know, not finishing your wine, the bottom of your cup is forbidden, etc. Okay. That's that. Um, we said you can't restrict access. That's a mitzvah asay. It's leave it open to everybody. If you do, it's a big machlokas, like big machlokas, so what happens next? If the fruit becomes usher anyway, like now it's all usher. As you didn't, the guy with the estrog farm put up a fence and said, no trespassing. So now what? Are esrogamol aser, like consumption, eating, let's say, um, or not? So many say yes, it's still mutter, but like the Ramban, uh, excuse me, the Ramban and Rash say yes, mutter, but Tosfos famously says no. If you restricted access, forget it, it's aser. The whole thing becomes off limits for you and everyone else. It's been defiled, if you will. Fine. Um, yeah, and if I didn't say or emphasize it before, a big piece of the Masech that deals with not doing business or looking like you're doing business with this fruit. It, looking like means like assembling two large quantities at one time and that kind of stuff. There's all this Mara sign. It looks like you're doing business fruit. 
Fine. Now, with this, there's, an, there's a dinder bun, although you're allowed to eat whatever grew, and what's called the Isra of Sfichen. Sfichen, as the Pasuk referred to, is these aftergrowths. What it means is, if you, even if you don't, if you harvest, all, we discussed this on Thursday, I'll say it again now. If you harvest all your wheat, and you did it exactly right, like meticulously, so the next year, not one thing grow, your field would really be barren. It would be a near, like a plowed, empty field next year, nothing. But in real life, what happens is, some seeds get away. Invariably, and other seeds blew in from the field next door and so on. So even if you planted no wheat in this field, you come back next year, you're going to find things growing in your field. So those are called tzvichan. Tzvichan things that grew by themselves, aftergrowth. So that's what plants are trying to do, trying to propagate themselves with or without your help. Um, so middle rice, that should be, all be okay. Whatever cucumbers and whatever vegetables and grain that grew by themselves should be yours for consumption. You didn't plant them. What happened is... People were cheating the system and then planting wheat and saying, oh, it just must grow by itself. Oops. So the rabbis put the foot down, long story short, and said no. So they said nothing that grows, nothing that would need to be planted to grow again, like wheat and vegetables, is allowed to be consumed. It's all up limits. It's just feeding. So that's as opposed to fruits. Like fruits, the fruit tree persists year to year, but wheat doesn't grow by itself unless you plant it. So they said to sort of put their foot down so that people shouldn't trick the system. Even naturally growing wheat, wild wheat, cannot be eaten, like Meaning, sfichan, like aftergrowth, we can't be eaten because we're afraid you're cheating the system. Yeah. Aftergrowth can be during the shemitah year or also following. Both the- after it's off, it's off limits. Yeah. <clears throat> how to ma- this is a little, not the second, and I know I know we're out of time. But when to, how to how to set the clock, which year it belongs to, is a little, not complicated, but it's, I'm not going to discuss it right now. There's different measurements depending on basically fruits go from chanata when they um, blossom and. Vegetables come from when you actually harvest them. So that's why that's why a lot of times, like 5882 will be the Shemitah year, but the fruits will be that blossom that summer will be Usr in 5883, because it's those are the previous year's fruits. As opposed to vegetables, if you harvest them in the new year, then then they're new vegetables, new year's vegetables. Fine. Let me just bang out the last things I know we're out of time, but I want to say it and be done with it. Um, that's our last chance. So then the ninth chapter deals with the, the halach of Bior. Beer means to get rid of. But there's a major fundamental machlokus, what that means. The Rambam says it means, it's, oh sorry, it's based on the puzzle. The puzzle which said it's for the animals. Remember it says, um, even for the wild animals, which means once wild animals can't access them because they're gone. And there's nothing left on the trees. So the wild animals are eating the oranges off the trees. There are monkeys in there. So whoever eats oranges, doesn't matter. If there are no more oranges for the wild animals to get on the trees, the oranges left in your pantry become required to do beer on them. Beer. Oh, so the Rambam says, that means it. That's it. Has to be destroyed. Off limits for everyone. The Ramban, not the Rambam, but the Ramban, says beer just means to be mafkir, to rent, make it hefker. So you basically take it out of your house in front of three people and say, whoever wants can take it. And then Lamai said people to do that and then they take their wine bottles right back into their house a minute later. So that's what happens. And that's, okay, that's positive, okay? They cheat the system. But anyways, that, that's the, con- the concept. Ramam destruction, beer, Ramban, just Hefker. And finally, the 10th pair is Shemitah's Ksafim. Oh, I'm doing 60 seconds tops. There are three myths of the Shemitah's Ksafim. We're moving on, 10th pair, different thing. Relinquishing of loans. So you have a mitzvah's assay to relinquish the loan. I mean, after the last day of the year, Shemitah year, that's it. Everyone's off the hook and like whatever loans are forgiven. There's a separate love of not pressing the borrower to pay back. It's a pressure to pay back this allowed. And there's another love, a fascinating love, which means even in like the sixth year, let's say, you're not allowed, Midoraisa, to say, oh, Shemitah's coming up. I don't want to lend to you because I'll never see my money again. You're not allowed to do that. Okay? All that said, final point, 
already in like Hillel's time, they saw that there's a big problem. The problem is people aren't doing this. People are, are basically, people are breaking the Torah and they're of this last halacha. They're, they don't want to lend. People are not lending because they don't want to lose money. So that's bad. But what's worse is that the beneficiary, the poor people are not getting money. So it's bad enough that the rich people are violating the Torah. That's not good. But the poor, worse is that the poor people aren't getting money they need, which the Torah wanted to set up for. That's the point of these halachas. So they set up a, I don't know, loophole, I'll call it loophole, called prusbol, which basically means, it's a, it's a loophole, we'll get to it in a pair when we get there, which, which allows people to lend and be able to reclaim their loans. It's a way to trick the system. It's not, it's super bidi evit, but the alternative, it's called the takana. Takana means when Chazal see that society's changed, they feel they have to act because although this is bad, the alternative is worse. Takana is always choosing to, it's like the lesser of two evils. So society's changed, people are not lending. So what are we going to do? If we don't put our foot down and make a way for them to lend, they're not going to lend the big loser is the poor people. We'd rather have the poor people have to be on the hook to repay the loans than to not get money at all. So Prozbol is a mechanism, we'll discuss it when we get to it, um, which allows for the lender to essentially assign his loans to a bezin so they can be collected later on. And now that's what, now, that's what everyone does. Um, I'm sure I'll talk more about it at the time. It's, since it's really not the right thing to do on some level, I don't get into that. Couple point this minute. Um, what definitely is the right thing to do is to fulfill the mitzvah. At least don't at least relinquish some of your loan. In other words, you loan to five people, at least at least have one of the five not be governed by it so that you you know let one go so you don't forget that. But anyways, that's that's principle, and uh, that is our hakdama. So now we pause there.